This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. My name is Steve Carter, and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital, our dream, our hope is to help you get better at the craft of preaching and communication. But we want to ensure, ensure that our character is leading the way. And so CDF and I, we, we've, been, we've been dreaming some stuff up. The podcast is part of it. Uh, for many of you, you joined us at the Backstage Pass and where we had a conversation with Darius Daniels and, and Hosanna Wong and Carrie Newhoff and, and Derwin Gray. And, and, and now I feel like the next kind of phase in what we want to do is something called cohorts, communicators cohorts. And I can't wait to tell you more about that at the end of the, the episode. But uh, today, I am absolutely thrilled for you to get the chance to uh, learn from a dear friend, Megan Fate Marshman. She's a preacher. She's an author. She's a leader. She's just someone I deeply, deeply respect. And before we dive into the interview, I want you to listen to a few minutes of a talk she recently gave at the Thrive conference. Listen to this. Some of you, I can't even imagine the hardship that you're going through right now. I can only just say it's hard. I'm trying to even imagine what it would be to be like in a, to, to be in a desperate place like some of you are in. And then you hear the scripture, God works all things for good. And maybe it's frustrating to you because how in the world could a good God put the, t- the term good plans on what you're going through. I know that sounds crazy, so I don't wanna say it lightly. But what I do wanna do for all of us is gently ask, how are we defining good? Because it's easy for us to define good as comfortable or easy or prosperous, right? I mean, that's, how's your day? It's good. It went really well. Things, circumstances were awesome, right? That's how we define good. Paul, goes on in Romans 8, 29 to define the good when he says this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. The good God can do in all things is to use all things to form you more into the likeness of Jesus. That's the good God knows the plans and his plans are meant for good to form you more into the likeness of Jesus. And this definition changes a lot of things. It changes our prayers because I have a feeling that when we pray prayers, we want our definition of good to come to pass, right? Think about it. If God said yes to all the prayers you've been praying for the past few weeks, would your life be more comfortable or would God be more glorified? Well, I'm so excited because my friend Megan Fate Marshman, uh, who, in my opinion, is just hands down one of the best Bible teachers and storytellers 
and actually just humans uh, that I that I know, um, our paths have crossed um, in in many different circles. A ton of the similar friends. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for for you. But like, here's the one thing: I, I feel like people always come up to me, making they're like, Steve, you've got a lot of bizarre jobs. You're doing like crafting character. You got this sports thing. You're teaching, writing. I feel like there's there your Arbor Road, hum, like what's what's like what's your title? Like do you do you have an official title? I got a couple official titles, but I will tell you my favorite ones, and I'm trying to make sure that my favorite ones that God's changing my heart to make sure my favorite ones align with what they should be. So <laughs> uh, titles would be disciple of Jesus as the priority, wife to Randy as next. And my favorite, next favorite title, mom of these two little boys. And then from there, wherever, wherever I can serve the church. So if it looks like a pastor, if it looks like a director because of a denomination, I'm cool with any of the titles I have. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, you know, at the, the beginning of this podcast, uh, we were able to listen to um, a few moments of you giving a, a great message um, at the Thrive Con- Conference. And I, again, like I said just a second ago, I've always appreciated y- your ability to open up God's word and you you just have this, this way to draw people in. But then on top of that, you use stories uh, just to, I feel like, make the story just come alive or make it wildly accessible. I'd, I'd love to know like, where did you start teaching? When did this like whole idea of like Megan Fate Marshman is a preacher and teacher? Like give us a little backstory of how that came to be. And then uh, a little bit of the training of, of where you got you to where you are today. Yeah. I, it started at a Christian camp where I tried to do this backflip move landed on my forehead. This is true. The story of my speaking started when I landed on my head and then had, <laughs> this is true. The, the, the scripture for the theme for the summer camp was on Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that even if statement they make before they go into the fiery furnace, like our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, uh, and basically was studying that all summer, doing it in the most wild ways because that's what camp does. Landed on my forehead, didn't feel my body for probably about an hour and prayed that prayer and the sa- gave the same faith-based words of, God, I know you're able to restore everything, but even if you don't, prayed that prayer and then saw, and then quite literally the next day had an opportunity to share about it because I was, it only lasted the like numbness lasted for about an, an hour. But for me, that was a turning point to go. And then I got to basically tell the story, the story of how my life collides with scripture. And then I started to realize the weight of scripture that it was meant to collide with our life, even though it's not about our life, it was still written down for our lives. And so that was the moment that I began speaking. Now here's where it gets really weird. And I, I don't even know if I've ever shared this on anything recorded, the first time I ever gave the message, and it was the moment I landed on my neck, how Daniel prayed, even though they said you shouldn't, and then he does anyways. And then even if we go into the fire, even, okay, so that was the theme. 
That was the story I was telling. And in the audience was one of my heroes. He wasn't super famous at the time. Now he's a little famous, but he was one of my heroes because when I was in high school, he was just the preacher that everyone liked to listen to at our Christian high school. And his name was Francis Chan sitting in the front row of my first ever sermon. Talk about intimidating. And mind you, not, he wasn't uber famous at that time, but he was the guy I looked up to who collided his life and saw how scripture in his life coincided. And then he shared stories about it. And I shared it. And then afterwards, he and I sat down and had a conversation that set up the trajectory of the rest of my life. That is amazing. Okay, real quick. Were you concussed the first time you delivered a message? Or were you like... I don't know if I've ever heard concussion in a in a like a, <laughs> that type of language. Hey, uh, you're married to an ER nurse. I'm yeah. just trying to like know my audience. Yeah, I probably should have taken a little more time to share that story and then prove that I'm a good storyteller. But uh, <laughs> no, I yeah, I ended up spraining my neck. Oh, but yeah, I mean, praise God, no break. Praise, I mean, like all the different things. But yeah, just sprained it. It's crazy to, to think your first message and Francis is sitting in the front row. On Saturday nights when I was in high school, I used to go to Cornerstone um, when he was pastoring in Simi Valley. And, you know, so we sort of got connected. And when I was a pastor in Michigan, I got control over who to book for the summer series. And so I, I flew him out. He delivers this amazing message. And um, he's like, what do you want to do tonight? And I'm like, He's like, is anything happening in Grand Rapids? And I'm like, well, Prince is playing. He's like, let's go see Prince. So me and Francis Chan go and see Prince. So every time I think of Francis, that I, I think of him just in the many times he shaped my faith and seeing Prince together. But um, yeah, wild. Uh, so you you then like have this conversation and do more opportunities start coming? Do you kind of go into like this preparation season? What, what, what happens? Well, I still wasn't, I never really pursued it. So here's, and I'll tell you the, I'll give you one little ounce of the conversation I had. I think he must've been writing the um, forgotten God book while we were having the conversation because basically he asked me this crazy question. He's like, do you know how to tell stories in a way to make people cry? And I was like, if, but here's the weird part. I, at the time, was very young. I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing 21, 22. And I had gone into cabins at night for like one year of summer camp. So I could walk into a cabin and I did. And so I looked at him, I'm like, I do. He goes, I knew it. And it was like, oh, so what do you do with that? And he's like, and then he leaned in and I'll never forget it. Cause he says, if the Holy Spirit's not in it, it won't be eternal. It won't last. Wow. He's like, but God's given you this gift. So are you going to use it? to get people to like you, or are you going to use it to be applauded? Or are you going to use this insane gift you have? He's like, cause if the Holy Spirit's not in it, it won't last. I said, you're right. Cause I was finding myself getting so frustrated with summer camp vibes of students coming up. They actually were waiting for cry night at summer camp. And I got that from them. They're like, it's Wednesday. How have I not cried yet? I'm like, what? Like they were expecting cry night versus the Holy Spirit power. And so wow. talk about getting fueled and equipped and ready to become more of who I, who I was intended to be. Francis saw some gifts in me. He spoke them, but then he made sure that I knew the recipe to be partnered with the to be, to be partnered with the Holy Spirit for yeah. his transformative work, not just informing a crowd or swaying a crowd or emotionally moving a crowd, because I do believe I can do that without him. 
Yeah. And nothing yep. will change. So basically worked at the summer camp, then got an invite to speak at a lot of Christian schools because those high schoolers all went to Christian schools. Then they went to Christian college and I did those. And then I landed at um, a Christian publishing house, worked at a Rock Harbor, which is where you and I first kind of our worlds collided, a wonderful church uh, that goes for it, man, they go for it d- dependent upon the Holy Spirit, wanting him to move and, and doing things to where if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, you would notice. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> totally. That being a part of the equipping. Uh, then from there, ran a few things, did everything I could. I feel like anytime I see a hole or something in the, the church, Big C church or my local church that's missing, my big thing these days, even today, I just met with my lead pastor, my own local church and said, if it was feeling um, like something was lacking in our church, I feel like because I noticed it, God's asking me to do something about it. So that's been really all I've done is if I notice something's going on that needs equipping, then I'll start something. And God made me an activator. So I'm just going to just gonna do it. So I've created that's- a lot of crazy ideas, implemented a lot of things, but mainly just wanting to serve Christ's body, even though she's messy. She's beautiful. That's amazing. Okay. So you, uh, you, you have these moments. What was it like? You know, because in, and oftentimes, I mean, you're you're st- you're stepping up, doing a school, doing a college, um, speaking in churches, uh, and kind of at this unique point where a lot of women weren't getting this chance, um, and to step in, and you you know, and just like you were yourself, um, did did you did you ever feel like, man, I got, I got something to prove, or I like, or was it like I just had the Francis like kind of conversation, like if God's in this. This is how we're going to do it. How, how did you, what was your mindset with that? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I, I'll, I'll tell one weird story as a female communicator. I remember um, I went to a certain church and they wanted me to speak to the high school group, but I wasn't in their denomination supposed to. And so they, what they did was <laughs> they were like, so here's our workaround. Our workaround is going to be us on stools and I'm going to interview you. And at one point I'm going to ask you, if you could share something on your heart, what would it be? And at that point, you could stand up and preach a sermon, probably keep it like 20, 25 minutes. Can you, and then we'll sit down again and finish the interview. And they were like, and we can, we can actually call it an interview then. And I'm like, okay. So okay. I did it. And I remember getting off the stage feeling pretty good about it. I liked it. I mean, it was a little weird. And I felt a little bit like the crazy person being interviewed. That's like, actually, and then stands up in front of the crowd and gives a full sermon and then sits back <laughs> down to finish the interview. So I uh, kind of let that go. But someone came up to me afterwards and said, weren't you offended? And I said, by what? That they did that? Weren't you offended? And we, I mean, the weird part is I wasn't. And I, I think I'm to the point in... I, I'm going to disagree with a lot of people theologically on a lot of different things and some things I'm really confident in and some things I'm not. And if my gender is going to be a distraction, then I probably don't want to be there anyways. Cause I think God's going to be up to something really cool. And if I won't be a distraction, then I'm in. So I think I could have been a part of some things that it's so funny. People are offended for me, <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, but I haven't been in the whole process. There's been some incredible open doors. I've never, I haven't faced a ton that have shut in front of me because I wasn't trying to open them in the first place. So yeah, that's amazing. Well, and 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 every time you step in, it's amazing because I just feel like yeah, like what's one of the my favorite things about you is you're the same on stage and off. Um, but this this whole storytelling thing, you 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 take like a, a verse and let's say um, you know you, you're doing a series um, 
in the parables. And so let's say you, you end up like diving into a parable. It feels like you are really, really intentional with where to put stories to keep as many people uh, on track with the main point as possible. And like pointing people again and again and again back to Christ. Where did you learn how to tell stories? And like, is there any tips that you'd give? Because there's a number of like emerging pastors and emerging voices and, and just people who are like, I want to get better at storytelling. You are a master at it. Give us, just share a few things about, about that. Yeah, I'd say probably my biggest inspiration has been my dad. I don't know if you know this. My dad's an actor. No way. Yeah, so I remember early on giving some sermons and he didn't comment a ton on the content, but he's like, you know what I liked is when you made a big point, you were big. He's like, but then those moments you really needed me to lean in. He's like, that's when you put your, your toes on the stage. And so the things he would call out were things that weren't that conscious to me early on, but then they shaped me moving forward. Right. So it was, oh yeah, if you're going to, if I'm sitting down, if you and I are having coffee and there was something I needed to tell you, I would probably naturally lean in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I naturally, my voice would probably slow down. And especially if it was something hard to hear. And so when I think about it, I imagine telling different people and imagining how I would tell different people. So one thing I'll do when I'll, when I'll come into an environment that I don't know people, I'll actually sit with, I'll sit down with someone and ask about the people in the audience or tell me, tell me about someone in your, that lady over there, tell me about her, you know, and I'll, I'll or tell me about the, I'll ask them about their lives. And then I imagine, I, I quite literally think about different people I'm speaking to and how I would share it to them with them if I was sitting across a table from them. And then I like finding different people in the audience as you're telling a story. So that makes this season of quarantine and speaking to a video camera extra hard. But it's allowed, and I'll say, but it's allowed me to refine my craft because, so if I can't look at someone and I can't interview someone beforehand on that congregation, what can I do? And I think that's a part of the prep that could be completely missed. My husband used to laugh when I would be preparing a message and have my laptop, laptop in front of me. And I always would have my eyes closed because in my notes, I don't ever write out the story. I'll write out everything else, but I won't, won't write out stories. I might write out like my transition line from a story back into the scriptures, but I won't write it out. And so I'll close my eyes and practice telling the story, but quietly to myself. And I mean, imagine me just sitting at the laptop with my eyes closed and my hands going crazy. My husband just walked by and laughed. He's like, that's the weirdest thing. <laughs> but I would imagine like, how do I tell this? To, it sounds so silly, but if I'm going to go speak at a women's event, how would I share this with my mom? Yeah. If I needed, if I, and then another one of my favorite questions I oftentimes will ask, which is, all right, what do they really need to know? And in that part, mm. I'm careful. I, I ask, I, in my preparations, ask the Lord to help me care for them to understand it instead of like how I said it. Yep. So yep. Uh, this is nope. another, I'll give you one more little note. Yeah. I remember reading Andy Stanley's, I think it's communicating for change book. Yeah. And there was one part, I, I'm not going to say it probably as eloquently as he did, but what it basically said was, you're either going to have one of two postures. You're either going to care how you say it and how it sounds, or you're going to care about what they're going to do tomorrow. You choose. And if you care about what they do tomorrow, then you'll have this urgency of you have to get this. Right. And I know the difference between a message that I want to perform well and a message that they have to know. And the only way, here's the big through line for me, big point, if I could share anything is this, the only way I'm going to know that they have to know this is if it's something that I've had to know myself. Right. That's so good. That's so good. When you were, when you were like growing up, like around the dinner table, would your dad just tell stories? 
Was he constantly telling stories? Like, is, was it a bit of like, because I always think that's really fascinating. Um, you know, like when you meet someone who's like a leader and then you, you realize like, oh, there was a little bit of osmosis that was around the table at their childhood or someone who's an amazing storyteller or someone who just had this gift of empathy. They often had these examples. Was, was your dad just constantly telling stories that where you learned, oh, that's how you tell it? Um, or were there other people who came into your life who were like, let's, let's refine it here and here. Mm. I think I, wa- I watched my dad perform and I watched him use the same energy that he would use to perform, but then he knew how to use it with people. Wow. So that's the fun part. Yeah. Yes. Storytelling around the dinner table. Yeah. My dad doing silly things. I, like life was always an adventure. So that's probably why my love language to this day as adventure was watching my dad for sure. I, but at that same time, the minute you bring up like, or were there people along the way? There's always people along the way, right? Yeah. I think it's really fun to study people. I, even people I disagree with, I think there's something so humbling to go, God wired us different. And I can learn from you. I could learn from someone who has zero faith. Uh, here's another random thought that just came to my brain with, with that question. Uh, I once did a Bible study and invited a non-Christian neighbor. And I, I totally did the bait and switch. I said, hey, do you want to come to a book study? And he's like, I've never been invited to a book study. I'm like, he's like, what book? I'm like, the Bible. He's like, the bait and switch. I'm like, it is. I said, but I want to learn not from know-it-alls. So I think I actually need you. And he's like, I'll explode. <laughs> you know, it didn't work. I'll come. And then he shows up and I'll tell you, it was the richest Bible study I've ever been in wow. because of his questions. So I truly think my whole life, I hope for the rest of my life, I'm learning from everyone Yes. I think people just need to be empowered that really they have something to share and it doesn't have to look like anybody else. But if we're all being formed constantly, we're just going to be better for it. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good, that's a really great point, Megan. Cause you know, I imagine for someone as creative as you are, you know, every, every day life is sermon material, right? Every person you meet is an image bearer of God, which has something to teach us about who God is, about what he's like, whether they're believers or not, but you get to learn. And whether it's the questions that this this, this person who hasn't come to, to Jesus yet is, is asking, or it, it's, it's just, you're seeing it. How, how do you file all of that? Do you, do you find yourself like hearing a story and you're like, someday that is going to be a sermon. And I, and I put it somewhere. Like, what, what do you do with, uh, because you live such an adventurous life. And I feel like you are constantly drawing from different as a mom, as a wife, as a disciple, like, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. I would say I've noticed I'm not the only one that does this, but the notes feature on the iPhone. Yes, man. I I know I'm not the only one that has the speaking illustrations slash story (laughs) filed up there and five words that'll trigger a story or whatever. So that thing is just constantly being filled. So I write those down, but I'll say another big one for me that probably if I can get really practical. So I'll put it this way. I really love the promise of God in Jeremiah 29, 13, the one that says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the promise is if you seek to find God, you will. 
So we started adding, because of that scripture, I started adding at my family dinner table. So you even brought up my the dinner table I grew up at. There was intentional conversations. There was intentional questions. That was my normal, right? So I wanted to make my dinner table just as, as uh, impactful. And so we added to the highs, lows, happy, crappies, valleys, hills. Everyone has their own little language. <laughs> we added, how have you found God today? Or how have you seen God today? It is incredible. And mind you, some of my best stories have come out of that question. And the first, this is another thing. The first time I tell a story is never on a stage. Right. Right. Oh, if I, if it's the first time that would be, yeah, that would be, that would be rough. So I feel like I'm constantly telling the stories of how I've found him and then watching how other people find him and then going, Oh, I've never thought about searching for him there. Like here, I'll give this example, especially if you have kids, I like, well, how old was she? At the time, she was had to have been about eight. And I asked this question, hi, the day, hello, the day, how you found God today to my niece. I'm like, how'd you find God? She's like, I found him swimming. And I was <laughs> like, ah, maybe the promise isn't for kids, you know, who knows? And then she went on and she says, because, you know, swimming's kind of like faith. And I gave my life to Jesus at VBS or whatever she says, you know. And then she says, but, you know, my little siblings who haven't given their life to Jesus are just splashing around in the shallow thinking that's all there is. But faith is a risk. You got to jump in fully. You got to give this trust to something greater than yourself. And you have to fight. And she starts going off. And I'm like, the promise is true. And the promise is for kids. And if you set people up around you to, to find God, you will, if they're seeking him, that's the yes. promise. Yes. So for me, I feel like as long as I take God at his word, specifically that verse, I'm going to find him everywhere all the time. But that really does begin to shift how I read scripture. So I no longer am just looking for inspiration. I think this is really, really powerful. And I don't want to come back to the Jeremiah um, in a moment, but you know, for, for a while, um, you were doing a ton with, you know, kid ministries and really empowering parents and um, really just to kind of be these spiritual leaders. And so I just love this story. Um, I, you know, I kind of was uh, started out in junior high ministry, and I feel like I had a mentor come up to me one time and just said, hey, if you can teach to a junior high student, you can keep them engaged. You can like you can pull out gold. You can teach to anybody. I feel like you have that same kind of uh, heartbeat, but the same thing is like, uh, it's not just teaching. What's so unique about you is drawing out. You have this ability to draw out the best in people. How have you fostered, which is a great name for a son, but how have you fostered uh, uh, curiosity? Like where, where did, where did that begin? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So in preaching, there was early on, I found myself doing something and I'll, I'll talk about it like this premature proclamation, which for me means prematurely I'm giving them truth that I haven't even worked hard for them to dive deep where that truth needs to go. So if I give them a head knowledge or a premature proclamation, they don't know what to do with it. It just becomes something they agree with that doesn't go deep. So, and then I remember this phrase that we used to say when we were doing the, when I worked for David C. Cook Publishing, we did church curriculum was, all right, we have to cultivate environments. That's the language we used to use. Like you have to cultivate environments to come alongside and partner with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? And one statement I used to always say was, if I say something, best case scenario is you understand. 
if you say something, you'll remember it, right? If you've ever sat in a seminar and raised your hand at some point and you said something at the seminar as a part of the audience, you then spend the rest of the seminar either critiquing or being very proud of what you just said, right? So if you say something, you'll remember it. If you discover something, you'll own it. And you only act on what you own, not what you agree with. So wow, those phrases now, if I'm in it, I actually love seminar settings because it gives me space for people to speak. I wish that we could set up church in such a way where we would speak during it because then we'd remember. So if I can't have them speak in those moments, then what I can do is take them on a journey. So I have to start where they're at because God won't meet us where we're not. So we got to somehow, I got to do something to get people to acknowledge where they're at. Them take themselves on a journey to opening themselves up for it not to be scary to receive truth, but rather paint a picture of what's beautiful. And that's usually where I get to use my own life where this truth has transformed my life in a beautiful way. But then I have to ask questions to go deeper for them so that by the time I proclaim the truth, it's not prematurely and that truth will meet them in a place that they actually need it. But that takes taking someone on a journey versus just telling them about my own journey. And the best way to do that I've learned is through questions. That is the art for me is how do you ask questions people care about How do you ask questions and then allow the scripture to answer the question instead of your clever phrase? Right. That has been, but I'll say this has been a refining process for me because I, when I first started speaking, (laughs) it was just boom, 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 good, three good points. You're welcome and figure out how it applies to your life now. And I, here's what the fun part is. I feel like I'm just at the, I still feel like I'm at the beginning. So even when you asked me to do this podcast, I've listened to your podcast. These people are brilliant and wise and so good. I feel like if I, gosh, can I give anyone any encouragement? It's that the minute you think you've arrived, you've missed it. So if I can be the one to speak to the person who feels like they have a long way to go is to encourage them that that's precisely the place they need to be. Because the minute we think we've arrived, here's, let me put it in illustration form. My husband's a ER nurse. He used to be an EMT. And I always ask him, like, tell me about like the difference. Like EMT, you're like there, like at the accident, but then you deliver to the nurse. Like, tell me about the difference. He goes, Ooh, I was in trouble as an EMT. I said, tell me why. He says, cause I knew enough, but not enough to know how little I actually knew. Wow. So he said, now as an ER nurse, I know enough to know how little I actually know. And that's the best place to be. So even being on your podcast, I'm like, I got to share something like that because I feel like I'm at a place where I know enough to know how little I actually know, which will keep me learning the rest of my life. And if it's true, the disciple simply means disciplined learner, then I'm on the right path, not because I've arrived, but because I know how far. And the more I know God, the more, the, the, the more I, little, more I realize how little I actually know keeps me yes. so humble, so dependent. And if I'm humble and dependent, then I might actually partner with the one who could change lives. Come on, come on. Well, and I think that's, I think that's amazing because you can, you can uh, know a room, right? You can, you, you can know, you can know the band and, and like we, you know, have been talking about uh, in other conversations, then all of a sudden it just all went to video. And now you're like, there's no audience. There's no reading the room. There's just you and a Canon camera looking at you or an iPhone. And and you're really having to go, oh, it's like I am beginning again on learning an entirely new medium of how to teach. And I'm having to trust these verses hold true. These stories hold true. These principles hold true. These questions are the right questions. So I love that, man. What a I love that 
that picture that Randy gave the difference between EMT and ER. Cause I think, I think there is a danger when we think, Oh, I got this. I've arrived. I know how to, I know how to teach. Um, you know, honestly, that's, that's one of the reasons I left student ministry um, because I realized my, my prayers were different from when I was preaching on a weekend um, in main service uh, than when I was preaching on Tuesday night at junior high ministry. I was like, I know these kids, I know how to do this. That one, I was begging God, like, I, I, I'm, I don't think I can do this. And I, you almost get become addicted to that dependency um, because it's so different. So, um, okay, real quick, talk about pacing. Because again, you, 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 um, you can be really, really quiet, lean in, ask questions. You can be big with your hands. You can, you can rally. You can um, be bold. I mean, I feel like you... As, as intentional as an actor or actress is with blocking on the stage, you are intentional with your pacing. Can you talk about that? I wish I could give you, and you and I have talked a little bit about pacing and some people that are a little more scripted on the pacing part of, if you watch those certain people who, who know when they're going to ramp up and then they'll get yep. low, I'll tell you, this is an area I'm still really growing is wanting to understand, probably because of the video camera. I think that's really humbling me in this mm. process because I really, when I'm live with people, it is pretty intuitive for me of I'm losing them. I just need a story. And, yeah. and I know my notes so well that I could jump three points ahead, <laughs> uh, give a story if it's necessary. And I know how yeah. to come back. And even that yeah. process is dependent. So that's good. But I, I know. I have to walk through the full sermon that I've put together. And for me, I, again, I wish I had, I don't have a script. I don't have a way that I do pacing, but I know it's an area that I want to grow more in. Like for instance, here, I'll give the specific for the most part, I end kind of on a serious lower. I'm going to use my voice like this, a thoughtful question that you have to care about. And I go through my three points as a recap. Let's pray. <laughs> that's, that's typically where I end. Okay. And that, and then I'm watching, and I remember I was doing a, I was doing a, a talk on repentance and I wanted them to go there and I wanted them to see the freedom of repentance. And I found them and I got to my very end. I asked him a question that mattered. And then I recapped my, and I was down again. So I'm down to this low point. Yeah. And then I watched Albert Tate do repentance. And I was like, I want to learn to do it like him. I mean, he was going, <laughs> Do you want to keep sitting where you're at? Do you want to live there? Or do you want to yep. move from there? In fact, get up out of your seat, come <laughs> forward. And I was watching him and laughing as I'm listening to him going, gosh, I have so much to learn. Yep. Yep. So honestly, as I lead each place, get and utilize pacing. For me, the outline is following how God has met me. And usually mm. for me, it does, I, when I'm quiet with him, it's not like he's ramping me up to run toward repentance. So that's for Albert, <laughs> like I haven't yeah. had that but I do have the moment with Albert. I'm watching him going, I want to try that. I want to, yeah. if I want to invite them somewhere new. So next time I get to a place of inviting them out of their old life into their new, I want to try that pacing because I watched it and I felt like it felt hopeful. It felt like freedom. So uh, again, I think my answer to you of, talk about pacing is I'm learning. I've been watching TD Jakes 
yeah, a little bit. And I'm like, how does he stay there? I mean, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta love Stephen Furtick of, man, I just, there are times I yell, but I can't yell that consistently and that long. But you watch it and you go, I have so much to learn. So it's fun for me to tell you. Yeah. I don't know. But now that I have a video camera and not people, I'm watching a lot of people and then implementing it and trying it and stretching myself. And it's really good for me because it keeps me, I'll come back to it, dependent because it's not always natural for me. But then I'll also say when I find myself like kind of bored and lost in the middle of a sermon, pacing is such a gift. Or if I need to get back to my notes because I'm lost, a really thoughtful question paced well that I'm going to really trust someone to think about gives me three seconds to go to my notes. Yeah, (laughs) I know how to utilize it. I know a lot of it just naturally but I'll say it's the good preparation to really know where I'm going that allows me to have fun with it yeah. and to have stories that aren't stuck under a point, but are used in a bigger way so that I could use it wherever it's necessary for the sake of energy. Yep. That makes so sense. I, I was watching your talk at the Thrive Conference. You had your Bible and you had you had a little piece of paper um, and not like you were looking down at it, but is that, do you do you put all of your notes on a like half sheet of paper and then just put it right in in between your Bible? Is that kind of like a a little cheat sheet that you use? It is. So every time I start a new message, it is word document. And then I turn it sideways right away and then put it into two columns and that's it. So I have, and I know that's about a 40 minute message. Okay. And so then it's, man, if I don't know if with your podcast, do you have any place like a, like a website we could upload? Cause I would just be willing to give away any of my notes. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I can see. Because that I was, it. I, so I've even sat with so many pastors. I, I'll ask if I'm in a season of going like, I can't quite figure out rhythms of being a working mom. Then whenever I sit with female speakers, I'll go, Hey, so tell me. And then da, 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 da. But the reason I bring that up is there's been times I've wanted to learn, like, how can I do notes? Cause I, I'm not scripted, but I'm scripted on aspects of my notes. So like transitions are very big for me, probably because I'm in camping ministry and too often I had a really somber prayer. And then the band starts with, I'm like, transitions just matter for me. Um, So I always actually script out all of my transitions in and out of scripture and in and out of points. So I just, transitions are big for me, but I've like everything. Uh, Stories, illustrations are in blue, scriptures in red, anything word for word is highlighted in yellow, questions are in purple, green is context. It's memorized for me so I can find any part of my notes so quickly. Um, And I'll say the order in which, and then black is the rest of it. The order in which I even prepare sermons has radically changed from day one sermon. Day one sermon, I started with a story. I fell on my neck. (laughs) I started a story. Then from there, I figured out and I went backwards on it. What are my clever phrases? And I started with clever phrases. Then I went somewhere else. Then I went to scripture. Now it's backwards. I start with wow. scripture, put it all on there and read all the whole passage. I just put it on the page. Then from there, I get to finding the movements. And again, this is with all the process, but I will say I've probably asked no less than 50 of the people I looked up to the most as preachers, how they write sermons, how they do notes. They are all different, but I feel like I've yep. taken it all. And I really like the system. I feel like that's something I actually could offer is what I've learned from all these other people and sermon preaching. But uh, now I start with the scripture. 
And the last thing I put in is stories. That backward shift from the beginning to where I'm at today has made all the difference because then the main thing's the main thing. Come on. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, in this podcast, we're always wanting to, to help our listeners get better at the craft and the art of communicating and preaching, but we also want um, our character to lead the way. And for someone who's doing as much output, I mean, uh, you just are about ready to release your your new book, and I want to talk about that in a moment. Um, you, you, you are teaching, you are coaching, you are, I mean, preaching all over the place, leading ministries, uh, just devoted wife, devoted mom. I love your Instagram, like stories with your, your, your boys, um, whether playing baseball or just, just his, his, how did he say basketball? Um, that was like my favorite one. Do you want to learn how to be a hero? Yeah. A hero in basketball. And he just, Oh, it was just amazing giving. I was so proud. Um, but, uh, but like, how do you ensure you have enough left in the tank? Every time you're getting up, how do how do you, what, what are those exercises, those practices that have become essential for you to ensure that your character leads the way? Two immediate things come to mind. One would be just recent in the past couple months, my family's instituted Sabbath for the first time in our lives. And it's, it's, it's necessary yeah. For my family. Two, it's fun to be able to put it in a phrase. Bible before breakfast. Those two, I would say in this, not not in this season, in every season, sustain. So yeah. What does the Bible before breakfast look like? Yeah, make sure I have for me, it has to be a discipline. Um, yeah, read your Bible before breakfast. Very yeah. simple. But not like it's not message prep, or no. is it message prep? Never. Okay, this is never. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. I, I, I me and a few different uh, friends of mine who are in ministry, like some are like, nope my my preparation is my time with the Lord. And I say, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it absolutely is for me. But yeah, there's something about starting with the right voice for me. And it's, again, that phrase even came from an elder at my church who just, that's the way he does it. And there's something really helpful because when you go to eat breakfast, you ask the question, have I read my Bible? Have I taken in that? Or did I just scroll through Instagram and then find myself comparing? And that's exhausting. And that's not the way to start the day, right? So that's just what it is in this season. I'm sure there will be other times in my life where that will not be the case that it could just be set aside time. But for me, I have to have discipline. I love like there's things, here's the other, I'm, I'm forgetful. So I have markers everywhere to help me remember. (laughs) For instance, stop signs. I actually stop at them. I have for the past three years to make sure that I'm not living so fast. And I actually stop Uh, driveways and elevators are other triggers for me. So whenever I pull up into a driveway, I prepare my heart for worship in the home or worship at a friend's house. So any driveway that I pull onto or walk onto is a trigger for me of all of my life is worship. This is one of them or elevators. If I'm going up and down, I'm going on a journey to prepare my heart. There's like these triggers. So, or if I floss, I pray for friends. I like have to have these (laughs) things in my life. So I feel like if God inspires a new thought, I have to put it in place where I will actually remember it. And so 
That's for me. Phrases like Bible before breakfast helps because right when I go to eat breakfast, I remember God's word and then I prioritize it and <laughs> have a necessary fast if it doesn't happen. What And what does Sabbath look like for you? Mm, for me, it's different probably than the average person, only that I work for churches. So it can't be on the token. So for us, it does shift each week. That's probably the most frustrating thing. But John Mark Comer's book was helpful. So good. Yeah. Like some of those disciplines, like not purchasing anything on the Sabbath day, we do the 5 PM to 5 PM. That was probably because of a trip to Israel. My husband and I went to go on twice where we got to do Shabbat Shalom. And it was like, Oh, this is just beautiful. And again, not because it's uh, commanded and for us and all the yada, yada reasons why we can make excuses for ourselves. And, but for us, it's, Beautiful. And it's time. I feel like on Sabbath days, I look more into the eyes of my little guys yeah. because yeah. my phone is in a different room. There's just yep. the practicals that we've put in place and we keep learning again, learn. I'm reading a lot of different books on Sabbath. Again, John Mark Comers was a, was a fun one as we were already getting into that rhythm and then reading it and going, Ooh, because he gets real specific on what it looks like. That's so good. Well, speaking of books, you, um, and I, I had the privilege to read it and I, I'm just so excited for as many people as possible to read it. Um, you know, it's kind of based from Jeremiah 29, 13, it's called meant for good, but give us, give us a little like snapshot. Um, because I think it's so connected to how you view people, um, how you, uh, view view God. You kind of alluded to it just with with seeking Him, but but share a little bo- the behind the scenes of why you wrote this book. Yeah, the journey of that book started when I was on a stage and I said, I still remember there's it was at Hume Lake, which is I run some camps up there, and there was like 600 women. And I was like, gosh, something about passion about God's word. I love, you know, something like that. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, like, you know, the famous one, Jeremiah 29. And the whole audience said 11. And I was like 13 at the same time. And everyone started laughing, assuming I did it on purpose. And I didn't, I truly was, oh no, no, no. I, no, I'm not talking about 11. And I, there's this phrase that keeps coming in my head of like, no, no, like this was written for us, not to us, for us, not to us. And I kept, it was written for us, not to us. And we read the Bible so individualistically and yes, no, wait, 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 no, no, no. 13 is a promise for us. It's for us. You know? So the journey began with that moment on stage and going, I got to understand the context. So really writing a sermon on why Jeremiah wrote these words, who it was to, and what the timeless truths are for ourselves. And basically where I arrived was this beautiful place. And I wasn't writing them. I didn't write the book out of a, I learned these lessons 10 years ago. You're welcome. I learned it in in a difficult season of my life. I learned these truths that God really does know the plans. And by the way, listen to that in light of COVID, God actually knows, you know, how we're trying to find the doctor that knows, or the opinion that knows, or the governor that's going to make the right comment because he knows, like, we're just always relying on all these voices. And God goes, oh, by the way, my voice, I know, I know the plan. And then for the people that were in a season of waiting, he says, 
and I'm going to invite you to trust me. And then he goes for the next few verses saying, and here's what trust looks like. Stop just saying you're trusting me. And I kept coming across all these people that would say, I'm just trying to trust God right now. And for me, that was always an obvious, they're not actively trusting him whenever they would use that phrase. So it started to go, I think people need to have trust defined. And that was the journey for me was going through Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 and taking apart every section to say, why was this written for us? And how can we be confident by the end of the book to know what trust looks like and be confident that we're taking active steps to trust him and the freedom that's found when we do? Yeah, I see that's that's so amazing because when I first picked up the book and I was like, okay, it's Jeremiah 29, like what? Like Megan, what's Megan going to do? What's Megan going to do? But then I get to the other side of it and I was so grateful, but but really that word you just said, trust, you reclaimed a word trust in, I just feel like in a, I think people are like, oh, I love, I want to trust exactly what you're saying. But just the, the, the way that you even unpack what's going on in Jeremiah 29, the, the what, what all of the backstory, um, I just found myself just going like, I want, I want that. I want to have that kind of belief. I want to have that kind of trust that this is for us. It's not just a nice like bumper sticker verse 11. No, no, you got, when you see it all, all of a sudden you're like, I I have something to grab hold of even in uncertain, unprecedented times. Like we are, we are living in right now. And I just am so grateful. I mean, I seriously, I hope as many people as possible read that book because I think it's actually going to help you understand what trust is all about, but understand how God is for us and the good that God meant for us. So it actually drops the day that this podcast, uh, so I, I would try to be a little strategic. Um, so that doesn't often happen with me, but, um, I'm super excited. So, uh, there'll be links, uh, in the show notes and opportunities for you to, to get this, but Megan, thank you so much. Seriously, as a friend, thank you. Um, but just who you are as a pastor, um, your voice matters. You continue to inspire young and old, and I'm just so grateful. So may God just continue to bless you and keep you. Thanks for all that you are doing. And uh, yeah, go uh, go learn to be a hero playing basketball with Foster because that kid's got game. I like that. I liked how he said it and then just walked to the hoop and then made a basket. And it was just fantastic. What if, what if our lives look like that? If they give quick reference and then we'll end it. But my little boy's like, I taught him how to do one thing. And then he was just found so much joy in doing the one thing. And then he felt like he had to tell other people about the one thing. And then he describes it. And then he just goes and shows off. Cause remember when you were a kid and you just did that. And I thought, wait, what if that's us? What if that's what God's trying to do to us? He's just teaching us one thing, take it, learn from it, delight in it. He's doing all the work for it and then shoot it make it and tell others about it all along the way. That's it. It actually feels a lot more simple than complex. If only we would enjoy life a little more. So good. So good. Well, friend, thank you so much. Um, hey, where, if people are wanting to find you, um, where, where where do they go? Like MeganFateMarshman.com? MeganFate.com will work. Man, anywhere. Let's we can connect anywhere. Let's be friends. I'm on Instagram, all the things, yeah. all the things. Find her. She's awesome. So, hey, thanks so much. And uh, grace and peace, my friend. Thanks, Steve.
Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Before we say goodbye, can I just tell you about something that happened to me uh, a year ago? I had the privilege and honor to be a part of a leadership cohort. And some of my favorite pastors, we gathered together. There's about eight or nine of us. And we went to Judd Wilhite's house. And Judd is the senior pastor at uh, Central Christian in Las Vegas. And we sat in his backyard and for an entire day just talked shop. We asked him questions. He shared a little bit with us. It was so rich. And I remember leaving that time thinking, gosh, this is really, really important to have these kinds of conversations around leadership. But what if we could actually create a similar environment where we could dive into the art and craft of communication? And so, friends, I'm so excited because this fall we are kicking off two communicators cohorts. The first one's going to be led by Dave Stone. And if you know who Dave Stone is, he is just the definition of humility. I mean, he uh, took over for Bob Russell at Southeast Christian in Louisville and handed off most recently to Kyle Eidelman. And I'll just tell you what, there are few people um, as gifted and talented as he is. Um, He actually wrote a book a number of years ago where he looked at the unique styles of some of uh, the country's most unique and inspiring preachers. And this guy has an ability to be an incredible coach. And so what's going to happen is if you sign up and you go to craftandcharacter.org and you'll see a little bar where you can click on about cohorts, but you're going to be able to see who the mentors are. Um, you're going to have a chance to to go to, to Charlotte to be with Derwin Gray. You're going to have a chance to go to San Diego to be with Chris Brown, who's one of the best storytellers, and you're going to come to Arizona, hang with me. So I, I'm excited about this. The second cohort is led by uh, Dick Alexander, who is a coach. I mean, he is like the guy behind the guy. He has been coaching some world-class communicators uh, for a number of years, and I just absolutely love, love, love this man. So, hey, if you are intrigued and want to take that next step, check out one of these cohorts. I'm so excited what my friends at CDF Capital, um, Sean Morgan and myself are dreaming it up, and we would love, love, love for you to be a part of it. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, please uh, subscribe, share, rate, uh, just, just pass on a good word. It really, really matters. I hope that you guys have a blessed week, and I hope that you, as you prepare, recognize the importance of your craft, but never forget how much more your character, your life, your integrity, your example matters. Go live it, go love, and be the people God has called you to be. Grace and peace. See you in two weeks.